This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And Kit and I had the pleasure of attending Star Trek Las Vegas this year. And we're here to talk about it from a TOS perspective. We'll talk about some of the actors and panels and things and any other kind of experiences through the TOS lens. I hope you guys enjoyed our roundtable from last week, where we had all the hosts of the network uh, who were in attendance got to sit down and talk about it, do a little flyover. That's always a lot of fun to see everybody and be able to sit down all together in the same room and podcast. Right, Ken? It is. They're such special people. And, you know, it was uh, it was quite well done, actually, uh, with the equipment. And uh, there were some people definitely hurting that early morning Sunday. But it was it was a lot of fun. You know, that that's what it's all about, Zach, as we've learned that um, through time, that it's the relationships and the kinship that you make with all the people that are there, and especially with, with the hosts and the fact that I that I hadn't met a bunch of them, I think made a big difference. But yeah, I had a blast. It, and you know what? The show turned out really well, too. It it, uh, it sounded great. I think there was a, a lot of fun in making it, and I hope to do that again next year. There we go. That's right. Uh, so yeah, I think I said that on the podcast. I'll say it again here. It's like when I first went in 2016, I said, okay, I might do this every five years or something like that. but And then I missed a year, and now I've gone two years in a row, and I'm like, uh, maybe I'll do this every year. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> it's funny because I hadn't been there since uh, 2016, and uh, as we were saying off mic, it was a very different experience with me because I had a lot of family with me. So I wasn't able to immerse myself into the to the convention the way I did this year. This year it was insane. I mean, it was it was great. I um, I met a lot of great people and made some really nice new friends. And um, I, I can't even speak to just how much I really enjoyed it. And it helped me understand the withdrawals that people were having after 2016 mm-hmm. a little bit better because as as I was sad back then, um, it it really hit me. And of course, you had to snap right back and. And get into work and and just move ahead. I mean, it was um, it was brutal, actually. Um, flying back Sunday and starting up early Monday and 
and trying to get uh, your head back in the game. And, and I really had to get my head back in the game with what we had going on in my work. So it was, uh, it was great, great time. And it was definitely worth it. And um, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're kind of finishing up where we left off to kind of talk about the TOS elements of this convention and uh, what worked well. Yeah, and let's start with the big man himself, William Shatner, doing his own panel, answering questions, 88 years old, right? Unmoderated, going back and forth on the stage, full of energy, with hilarious and insightful answers. It's always a highlight of these panels, of these conventions, to see a William Shatner panel, and that remains true this year. It did. The guy is um, incredible. I don't know where he gets his energy. I, um, I think about all the times, you know, you visit... Uh, you know, a, a retirement home, or you see a lot of people that that retire, and you know they they they're just it's just tough. I mean, and I know physically you have to have very special genes and be blessed in order to get to 88 years old in the first place. But to be 88, fully coherent, full of energy, running around the stage, um, I mean, he put a lot of other people to shame. I thought with the <laughs> you know just his exuberance and I, I know he's been that way his whole career that's what he's kind of known for but he really hasn't lost a step and i thought that he um he led the charge up until that point um i think only jason I, jason isaacs uh, approached his level of entertainment everybody else was fine by the way i just mean that 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 he just took it to another level as only he can and um you know you always kind of sit back and laugh as he's up there first trying to sell you something and he's oh, good at that. Oh, that was so funny. Like, so he's on a new show, The Unexplained. Yep. Remember, <laughs> The Unexplained. Uh, because he's basically, it's a In Search of style show, which Leonard Nimoy did in the 80s, and Zachary Quinto now does on the History Channel. So William Shatner now does The Unexplained. And it's about, you know, UFOs, uh, paranormal things that are, the, that are unexplained, uh, just stories about, you know, I assume... Bigfoot, uh, abilities people have that others don't, things of that nature. Uh, The paranormal, the unexplained. And he just kept coming back to it because he he opens it. He opens the show like, well, what's new with me? Well, I'm working on this new show. And as the the questions go on, people bring up like, oh, I love the Boston Legal. And I was like, woo. He's like, no, 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 no. That's old. Remember. The unexplained. <laughs> just, yeah, he always about kept the bringing it back to that. It's about the future. <laughs> about the future. Yeah, he. Had, it was. It, it was funny. It was well done because I remember you and I were looking at each other with eyebrows raised, going, "Okay, how how long is he going to pitch this thing?" And he does it in such a way that's very disarming and funny, and um, and, and you know he's having fun with it. And then um, when when he took on the questions, I, I love the give and take. And I guess there were some folks in the audience that actually thought he was being cruel or whatnot. I was like, "Oh, come on." He was he was having fun, and um, and and everybody for the most part was laughing, and I I understood where he was coming from. You gotta you, you you've got to make light of these situations, folks. It's it's Star Trek, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's entertainment. Uh, but he did hit some some heavy subjects as well, as we know about uh, the death of Leonard Nimoy. And, first uh, question. First first question. question. It's like whoa, coming out like that for the first question, and he handled it very well, I think. I think so. Very mature. You know, he sat back. He was um, contemplative, regretful, um, and also celebratory of his life. And, uh, you know, talked about cigarette smoking, all the different things that went involved, that were involved and that helped contribute to um, to Leonard's uh, untimely uh, death. And I, 
I know when people live to 82 or 83, it doesn't sound like it's that untimely, but uh, we, we know we know why he died. But yeah, I, I, again, you know, he has, um, as only Shatner does, has a special way. And what was interesting to me, Zach, is when um, the question was asked about would he ever share the stage with um, the, the remaining living TOS folks. And uh, his response was interesting to me, you know, about them saying, you know, crap about him for 50 years. Why would I want to, why would I want to share the stage with him? And uh, that, that made me go back and rewatch his um, Raw Nerve interview with Walter Koenig, which mm -hmm. I felt in watching that episode again just the other day, um, you know, that they had kind of reconciled. And just as we heard Koenig say a few years ago that, uh, you know, and it was reiterated during that show, they had a lot of problems with Shatner, but they never personally addressed them with him. They never came up to him or said a word, which is kind of interesting. They just kind of, you know, were nasty to him in the background, but never face to face to say they had a problem with him. And I wonder if that's what keeps Bill from pulling them in, you know, as a team, because he's, he certainly isn't going to give the fans what they want which is that, that last shot, that last picture um, as they grow older, hoping for that reconciliation. But it is, it is an interesting dynamic that I think is, um, you know, I don't know, what, what, what are your thoughts with, with Bill's attitude on that, that whole piece? You know, that was the one question that he answered. I was like, whoa, okay, because somebody, basically what they said is, oh, it'd be great to see, what do we have to do to see you, George, and Walter get? He's like, why, why would I want to share stage with them? They've... They've talked best about me for 50 years. I don't know them. Like it's when they're like, whoa, he's like, we worked together a couple days a week 50 years ago, and I don't know who they are as people, and I barely know them, and they've done nothing but say disparaging things about me for decades. Which, and then he turns it around on the person asking the questions, like, would you want to share a stage with a person like that, with those kind of people? And they're like, oh, uh, <laughs> they pay me enough. And he's like, aha, there it is. So, <laughs> oh, I forgot about so that he, piece. Yeah. Yeah, even then he kind of turned it into a funny thing. But I, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't entirely. I kind of was a little uneasy about the way he answered that one. But I mean, it's he's just speaking his mind, and that's where he stands on it. And I mean, if I had to answer the question he posed to the questionnaire, I'd, I'd probably say the same thing. But I, I think you're right. I, I think the fact that there was all this, you know, passive aggressiveness. I, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but from from these guys for for years. Uh, that he was unaware of. And then now like people like, you know, George Takei, like it's like the number one thing George Takei chooses to discuss when he's in public forum is how much he doesn't like William Shatner. He's like, all right, well, what is, what is to be gained from this you know, at, at this point? Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I wish they would all sit down and, and hash it all out, but maybe there's just too much water under the bridge at this point. Yeah. Well, you know, that's why I said when I, when I went back and saw that broad nerve episode, it seemed like they had, you know, like they, they, mm -hmm legitimately talked it out um bill was a little over the top during that interview yeah. as far as as way, usual as usual you know as he was re reflective on the different the different elements and the different things he said but um yeah for, for the most part i i um that, that was one question that like you i was kind of surprised at uh, how fast he answered it and how aggressive he was yeah, he was not s slow and contemplative like with the Litter Nemoy thing. He just like he had that answer like ready to go. Like that was it's almost, almost as if you know he's probably expecting that when he goes to these conventions and he was armed and ready. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I you know, he's he's truly done with it. So it's something we'll we'll never have. But at the same time, you know, the TOS community, the TOS set, 
Uh, and, and Walter Koenig, I thought in that interview, you know, he said that he's gotten so much more accolades and so much out of Star Trek, so much more out of Star Trek than he ever put into it or that was ever earned, you know, for the role that he had, which I thought was quite humble for him right. to say. He always uh, has a good perspective on things. Yeah, I love Walter. I really do. I think he's a very special guy. Um, his book was phenomenal. So I, I, I understand his, his insecurities and, you know, uh, the, the diff- he, he's not afraid to kind of be very, very honest about it. Like he was in, in his uh, question and answering, you know, how mm-hmm. not really sure how much longer I'm going to be relevant with all this new Star Trek and how many people are going to care to see me up on stage, which... Yeah, again, it's very humbling and kind of very sad because, you know, as they say, all things end, you know. Yeah, all good things must come all to an end. All good things must come to an end, yes, sir. But, uh, you know, Shatner, though, uh, he continued to, to answer a lot of great questions. I think one of the ones that, uh, that stuck out to me is kind of he was building people up, and there was a guy there who worked in an Air Force base, mm. and he was like, so what do you do? Do you fly the planes? Do you do this? Do you do that? And he's like, no, sir, I'm a, I work in the cafeteria, and I'm a, j- a janitor worker. He's like, oh, but still an important job, isn't it? And like, so... It's like, you know, building the guy up, even though he's not flying Top Gun out there. He's telling, hey, man, good for you. So I, that, that kind of stuff, I like I like that. Like, that is, that's great to see. Yeah, yeah. everybody has a role, and uh, everybody, you know, everybody contributes. So, yeah, that, that was that was a very um, uh, telling thing, I think, to, to say to the uh, to the questionnaire and, and very respectful. And, uh, you know, because you know him and he would like to have fun, he could have taken that in a very different direction. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and he didn't do it, you know. And you know, when I saw him in Boston back in, I don't know, it was like the late '80s or something, um, he would kind of he, he he wasn't like that, to be honest with you. <laughs> he he would really kind of turn on the audience, and in an attempt to be funny, uh, would sometimes hurt people's feelings. And you know, I I I understood what he was doing, and it was to a degree sometimes, you know, kind of tongue in cheek. But sometimes, you know, his his wit could have been a little bit sharp. Again, I I don't think he really understood um, that he was hurting somebody's feelings. He wasn't doing purposefully, but he would make a joke of something like that in the past, and he doesn't do that at all anymore, which is nice to see. Mm -hmm. And then probably kind of to wrap it up, I I think that the most extensive exchange was that guy who had like a pitch for him to be in the next Star Trek movie. Yes. And and he actually there was a good back and forth there, uh, because he's like the problem is how do you get me back in a Star Trek uniform? And, and, and the guy said that is a big problem, and everybody thought that was hilarious. Yes, <laughs> and even Shatner was like Shatner even stopped and laughed himself. He's like, ah, the person asking the questions is not supposed to be funnier than the person answering them, and everybody had a big <laughs> laugh. But it it took forever. He's like, well, the guy asking the questions like, well, I don't want to spoil it for you because he's trying to pitch him. He's like, you have three sentences to win me on this. And then he, he didn't do it. He refused to, like, pitch it to him properly. So he says, no, I won't do it. And the guy's like, can I get another chance? He's like, no. And then he just walked off. He's like, next question. And yeah. that was great because that guy was like, dude, just do you really think you're going to go to a Star Trek convention and pitch your idea to William Shatner and have him be in the next movie uh, so you're concerned about spoiling the plot, like come on. So he Shatner, he went in this explanation of like what pitches are and how they work, and you know. And anyway, I thought it was great. Another another one of these. You give these fans a microphone, you never know what they're gonna say. And I think he re- Shatner really rolled the punches on that one, and it came out looking real well. Yeah, he he did a nice job. It was funny too, but to Shatner's credit too, he also gave a demonstration of how you're supposed to pitch. So yes. next time he'll get it right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that was unless you had anything else on on Shatner, we can move no. on to Walter Koenig. Sure. Uh Koenig, I, I always love seeing Koenig's panels. Uh, he always has a real good 
kind of uh, self-awareness, mm-hmm. you know, especially when he's in these. Because as, as you say, Ken, pretty much all these panels, uh, he's mentioned how, like, man, Star Trek, you know, Warp 3, sir. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> you know, he has a very uh, uh, self-depreciating humor about uh, his role in the franchise. And and it's great to see there's a lot of Babylon 5 fans that come and support him. And, uh, you know, they dress up like, you know, Babylon, his character, uh, Bester from the Psychor on B5. I saw some people dressed up like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because that is, you know, it's a far better role than Chekhov. And he had far more to work with because that was a truly three-dimensional character as much as we love Chekhov right I mean there, there's not much to him as Walter himself will say um but you know one of the most interesting things to me and I had heard about this uh and this is I guess this is a little controversial because it kind of just kind of throws some shade at Rick Berman here but uh somebody asked Koenig about being on an episode of Next Generation I had heard about this mm-hmm. uh, there, there was a seventh season episode because they're like well, you know, Scotty worked great last year. We had Spock the year before. Who else we got? Well, we got Chekhov. What can we do with him? And the idea was to kind of, um, because Worf, his adoptive parents were, you know, Russian heritage, uh, to kind of have them have some kind of connection. But Chekhov was going to be, uh, he has he would have been a prisoner of war on a planet for several years. And the Federation, like, left him there for many years and then finally got him back, and he became the ambassador to that planet. But and there was some big peace thing, and he was going to sabotage it to get back at the Federation for leaving him there to rot in prison or something. Um, so you know, honestly, I'm glad that didn't happen because that's that that would have been a disservice to the character of Chekhov, I think. At least that that's the idea that the uh, that the person asking the question had presented, and I I had heard rumors of that before as well. But Walter said that they they had approached him, they had a lunch, and it went real well, and uh. He went in to pitch his because you know he is a writer, so he had an idea of how Chekhov would have appeared on the Next Generation, and his idea was to have uh, I think again that what there was a Worf connection uh, because of the Russia uh, heritage, but it was going to be that Worf kind of had visions of Chekhov, so it was going to be almost more like a the, the best thing I can equate it to is like a flashback on Voyager, right, mm-hmm. where Tuvok and Janeway are in the mind his mind, and they see you know the events of the Undiscovered Country on the Excelsior. Because uh, he's like, how do how how do I get there without being there? Because I didn't want to do time travel or you know transporter. We we had done all these things, um, but uh, he says that you know, he showed up at the lot. They went in a room. Everybody was really excited. They Rick Berman was not at the meeting, uh, but all the other writers were. Then a phone call came down, and then everybody left, and nobody talked to him about it again after that. So his only assumption was that Rick Berman had kind of axed the idea. And I'm like, oh, okay, well. I mean, he. There you have it. Yeah, it was. I had never heard any of that, so it was interesting learning. And you know, uh, it, these guys, these actors. I I think that um, if there's anybody who's probably less protective of their character, it might be Walter Koenig. And what I mean by that is, I, I don't. I, I was I was thinking about it. If you have the opportunity to play a bigger part, you know, and um, and do a, a one eighty. Uh, one of the things I kind of thought about was in Star Trek VI, because obviously Chekhov had very little to do in that movie. And he kind of insinuated that he wanted to talk to um, Rick Meyer about it in that Raw Nerve interview, but never had the courage to do it um, because he was really frustrated. But what if Chekhov was the double agent versus pulling in another big star like Kim Cattrall, you know, who ate up a lot of scenes? In her role, you know, I know it was supposed to be Savic, I get it, but I'm just saying, what if that happened? Um, 
you know, I think a lot of fans would have been like, no, Chekhov would never do that. But I think Walter himself probably would have loved to have, um, you know, sprung something like that. Now, the tie to the Russian thing or whatever, that probably wouldn't go so well. But <laughs> <laughs> the Cold War allegory. The, the Cold War Maybe allegory. Maybe two on there, the yeah. nose, right? Yeah. It, it, no, it, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Even if, even if Valeris was a character in there and yeah. you had a Kim Cattrall, mm-hmm. it's so obvious. Like, oh, I wonder who it is. The new person. You know, and that would have been a red herring if you check off. So that's that's a good that's a good twist on it. Yeah, and so that's why I say you know if if, if this this story is they were talking about um, Chekhov actually sabotaging and doing something evil, I mean it sounded like he was he was all aboard uh, for that, and and I was just kind of rationalizing in my head why it might have been legitimate for him to to take that on, and that's the only thing I could think of because you know these guys many times just didn't have. Um, very important roles and you know it's something we're kind of seeing with with discovery now right the the bridge crew is getting bits and pieces of attention but not that much it's it's very you know uh, burnham and um saru centric with the captain whichever one it is (laughs) whoever that may be yeah (laughs) whoever that might be but that's kind of the way it is and i'm not saying they don't have scenes or parts they do but they're very limited um, and so it, it kind of reminds me of TOS. It's kind of funny that it, it's in that era and they're kind of following that playbook a little bit. I think that will change next year, but, um, it is, it is fascinating to, to watch how the different dynamics exist between the different series, the sets and the people. Um, to me, that's, that's one of the more interesting things. And the TOS in the era that it was made and you see Kay and they, you know, talking through that with, um, you know, he, he loves the fact that, that Star Trek was in his life and he has no regrets about doing it. Um, he doesn't feel like it necessarily held him back, but at the same time, you know, what would his life have been without it? And um, one thing for sure, he would never have thousands of adoring fans uh, waiting on his every word every, every year at every convention, which is, which is a pretty cool legacy in all of its own, you know? Yeah, I mean, to your point, what you mentioned earlier about him coming out and questioning, like, hey, am I still relevant? You know, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, he got a huge applause after that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, with a guy like him, I, I'm sure that made a big difference. And, and, and I must say, like, I, I've seen him every time now. I've been to SDLV, and I always enjoy his panels. And, uh, you know, when I first saw him in 2016, he was, like, wearing a hat and yep. a jacket, and he was, like, kind of all, like, kind of crunched up. I was like, ooh, man, he's... He's 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 aging, you know. But this time he's just wearing a shirt, like a t-shirt, and he was kind of moving around. I was like, "Hey, good for you, Walter." Yeah, he was definitely more spry than we'd seen him in a while. He was telling us about the fact that he's, you know, running and walking and trying to get you know around the lap and around his neighborhood and all that stuff with his dog. So yeah, you know, he's he's doing all right. He's he's one of the good guys, that's for sure. And um, yeah, I, I've always he, I've always enjoyed his talks because he's very reflective introspective um he stays out of the political all those things that um that i enjoy you know i I don't mind you know a line here a line there you're gonna get it politics always seeps into everything and it did in this convention too and that's fine but i i just you know (laughs) not nothing from him it was just kind of fun actually no he had a little line in there too but he he um no he did he did he did a really good job I, i just like him uh i think he's uh, my favorite of the um, of the bridge crew, you know, mm-hmm. to to get up and speak, you know, I, I mean, Nichelle Nichols when she was in her day did a, did a wonderful job, and George Takei when I first saw him in the eighties and and probably the last one I went to was like ninety one or something, 
mm-hmm. just a gentleman, you know, just yeah. just just the nicest guy and, and all that stuff. But I, and I've seen I've seen him in Houston as well in the past. Yeah. It's, it's like if you can get off the Shatner track with the K, right? He has lots That's of right. interesting, insightful things to say. You know, he World does. War Two, the internment camps. Like this is interesting stuff. You know, worthwhile discussion stuff. But you know, it's it's low hanging fruit that he just kind of slides into. And I, you know, I get it. He's like, hey, what can I really make the fan? What's a, what's a good zinger for the fans? We're gonna throw in a zinger about Bill. Like I understand the logic of it, but yeah, anyway, I don't. To be honest with you, it's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as, as, as time goes on, you know, we, we, we want to hear it because people really care about these actors personally. And you'll, you'll see a lot of the questions kind of delve into the personal as to how you're feeling. What are you doing now? That kind of stuff. It's, it's nice to see, you know, so it's, it's nice. Everybody feels like they have a, a certain bond with these guys. I know I certainly do after all these years of being part of it. So it's fun. Well, uh, another thing on the canning panel, it's, this is something I was unaware of because I, I haven't read his book actually. And as he was talking about making a second edition with, you know, because mm-hmm. they came out in the late nineties, I believe, if I'm not yeah, mistaken, mid, mid to late nineties. Yeah. Um. So I mean, he, you know, he's done a lot more to report since then. So I, I I'm kind of waiting to see if he gets a second edition. And I'll read that one. But uh, he was telling a story about Star Trek Three, uh, where mm-hmm. he was very upset that he had like nothing to do. Like, you talk about Star Trek Six, you know, Star Trek Three. he literally had nothing to do. And uh, he was very upset about that with Harv Bennett, and they, like, really hated each other about that for all Star Trek Three. They didn't communicate, and they gave him, a, I believe, a take-it-or-leave-it deal for Star Trek Four, and he left it because he's like, look, I, this was this was terrible in Star Trek Three. I, 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 you know, I, I didn't appreciate my role there, and I, I don't want to come back for the fourth one. And then he said, like, the next day they came back and they gave him a new offer and he accepted it. And he was very happy because Star Trek Four, as he, he said at this panel many times, was the most fun he ever had working on Star Trek. Because Chekhov, he's like, I have my own theme. You know, he got to do the running and all that. And uh, But I, I that was bizarre to me to hear about. But it makes sense because Chekhov really – Chekhov and Uhura really had almost next to nothing to do in Star Trek Three. Uhura had at least her scene in the transporter room, which everybody loves. But Chekhov had nothing like that. Yeah. Well, back in the day – um, he was, he was very, um, magnanimous. Is that the right word? He was, he was very polite about his situation on Star Trek three because I, I'd seen him. So I, I'd seen Walter Koenig right after Star Trek two. And I'll never forget it because he had this t-shirt that said, uh, not tonight, check off. I have an earache, which I thought was kind of funny that one of the fans had given him. And he was really proud of the work that he did in Star Trek two, right? he was off the enterprise. He was on another ship. He was the executive officer. Right. And um, when it all came down to Star Trek Three, his line back then was, well, you know, I had my share of um, film or screen time. It was time to let, you know, George and others have, have theirs, which is, you know, the, the, which is exactly what happened. And um, so his, his line there I thought was very, was very nice. I, until I read his book that I realized that it had gotten ugly because... Um, you know, the same story for Star Trek Two with George Takei, right? George Takei didn't want to do it. He was like, I'm a bus driver. I don't want to do that. You know, there's <laughs> nothing for me to do. And even when they, they brought him back, they they promoted him to captain and they cut the line out, um, all those things. So, um, you know, George came back under false pretenses, but he was given more to do in Star Trek Three. What what I didn't know is that they, they got nasty with yeah. um with Kay and Egan. You know, he, they, they said he had the worst Russian accent in Hollywood and all this other stuff, which was just blowing his mind, you know, yeah. just that they were getting that cruel. And, um, you know, that's, that's that business aspect of it. 
you know, it, it's kind of funny to me um, how the people and, and, and all the egos and all the things that are involved in making Star Trek have very little to do with the philosophical approach of the show. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, kind of wrapping it up with, with Kanig, uh, some someone did mention or ask, like, hey, who, who is your favorite person to work with for all your time on Star Trek? And and he was very complimentary about everybody. He did say, I'm not going to go into Bill. And everybody got a big laugh, you know. Uh, but his favorite uh, person was D. Kelly because yeah. he explained, like, there was, and, you know, we say we said it many times on the show, and he used the same terminology. There was above the line and below the line. There was the big three and the rest of us. There was a very clear delineation. And then he also said, but that's the way it worked back then. Right? That's the way that TV shows work. This is the 60s. Um, but but D, you know, like, he, he would cross the line, you know? And he was one of us as much as one of the stars. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's... No one has anything but positive things about to say about D. Kelly. And uh, that, that was great to hear him reminisce about him in that way. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, there's... I, I've never heard anybody say anything negative about DeForest Kelly. And his both books I read, his his biography and then... Um, the other one, Sawdust, um, was just incredible. Um, just the kind of person he was, very lovely, him and his wife, you know, a, a real Southern gentleman all the way around. And, and you could see that, you know, I mean, there's, there's just folks out there that just know how to do it right. And, um, you know, it's, it's like that in, in business more and more. We, we try as much as we can to create, um, a flat organization versus uh, a hierarchy. But if you think about how businesses operated in the 60s and 70s, it's very similar to the way movies were produced. You had your your, your top echelon um, and you had your workers and people weren't expected to, to talk to one another or cross those lines. Uh, but that, that, that whole dynamic has changed. But there's always been people, um, business, military, whatnot. Uh, Admiral Bull Halsey was known as a sailor's admiral. He talked to anybody, anytime. You know, and in the 40s, that was unheard of. So, you know, I, I always kind of look at those folks as being unique uh, for something that nowadays would be expected. But, yeah, he was a class act all the way. For sure. As far as you and me go, we actually got a picture with Walter Koenig and Robin Curtis. Yes, uh, we did. My favorite Savick, Savick from Star Trek 3 and 4. And uh, we actually went to Robin Curtis's booth and uh, talked to her for a bit. I uh, got, got some memorabilia. You got a selfie. I got I got a signed Star Trek storybook, which I, I'd never seen this. But I'm like, oh, this is Star Trek 3 is my favorite movie. I got to get it. Uh, and she was saying a lot of merch from Star Trek 3 at her table. And so I got her to sign that. And, uh, you know, stay tuned, guys. You might have Robin Curtis on the show coming up. Yes, we might. And uh, she is just a, a wonderful person. I mean, just I, I met her a little bit in um, in 2016. Um, but man, uh, just <laughs> as pleasant, as cooperative, as as nice a human being as as you could meet. Uh, you know, I, I know she's she's been out of acting a long time, but um, she just has a way about her. Just, you know, she, she's very real. Um, very grounded, and um, I don't know how many times did we talk to her during the convention. I want to say three or four different times. Yeah, I think at least I, I think, did. Least, yeah. yeah, I think I ran into her a, a, a two or three, and then you were a couple more times than me. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, just um, you know, just open and 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 wonderful. And you know, I don't know how many pictures I took for that selfie. Um, she kept saying, "Oh, is the light right? Is this right?" I, I yeah. don't know. I, I probably got half a phone worth. Uh, but I mean, that's, you know, and then also she was like, well, I don't, cheaper, you know, she was just like, ah, oh, she just do a number. I was really low. 
Yeah, you know, it's like okay, <laughs> compared to the others, uh, she was, um, yeah, she she was just a, a just a sweetheart. You know, I I can't say enough things about her. And I I caught I don't know if you caught I caught the last maybe ten minutes of her panel. Yeah, because yeah. I think we were at our friend Aaron Harvey, That's host right. of Saturday Morning Trek. Uh, he published his book about Star Trek, the the official guide to the animated series. It's probably he had a panel about it. And so we were over there supporting him. Actually, we both bought the book mm-hmm. uh, and got signed, signed by the author. Uh, but it was cool to see Aaron at the convention. And, and this is a good book, but I just started to get into it. Uh, but uh, but all, all that to say, um, we were over at that panel, and we went back in uh, to the main hall, and then Robin Curtis was wrapping up her panel there, and where she got into full Savic makeup, which was great to see, because I believe that's the first time she's worn it since Star Trek IV. So. That's what she said, yeah. She looks yeah. great. She really looks great. I mean, just 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 phenomenal. I think she's a, a very handsome woman, and um, you know, so, some some of those folks when they when they put on the makeup over time, it's like mm, no. <laughs> yes, but, we, we all know who we're talking about. But yes, she she still looks like Savick when she puts on that makeup. She so. she she sure does. She sure does. So and, let's uh, see her in the Picard show. Let's get a let's get it trending on Twitter. Hashtag Savick and Picard. There you um, go. Because she's younger than Spock, and Spock was alive at that time. Uh, Has, well, we'll call it hashtag Zach Savick. How's that? Hashtag Zach Savick. Yes, very good. Yes, yes. Uh, but uh, so we have that, and then we also have the pleasure of talking to Jacqueline Kim, who played Demora Sulu mm-hmm. in Star Trek Generations. Talked to her quite a bit at her table, and uh, stay tuned because we might have her coming up on Standard Orbit as well. Yeah, we should be able to lock that down. She's also a, a very lovely person, doing a lot of great uh, charitable works out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be if if anybody's interested, you know, uh, Google her name, um, look up the, the different projects that she's working on. She's um, she's she's quite busy. She's doing a lot of great things. So, um, but just yeah, again, another person, very grounded, easy to talk to, and um, you know, I, I thought just a, a real joy to get to know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so things to look forward to coming up on Standard Orbit episodes ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess finally, as far as uh, the actors and whatnot go, I had to do it. Uh, got my picture with William Shatner. Me, and my friend Lance Laster, who you've heard on the show uh, a few times over the years. Uh, we decided, well, hey, it's like, well, if we both did it, it's half the cost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we we both decided to to take this opportunity to uh, get the picture with Shatner. And and I'll tell you, crazy long lines. You know, I mean, he's he still pulls in the people, and it, it, it is funny because even one of the most interesting things about doing that was just being in line and seeing all the people in front of you and seeing them like interact and what that, and it, it was just cool. Very brief, you know. I if I had regret something, I didn't say, "Hey, I love doing Twilight Zone, Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet." I should have told him that. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. anyway, just hey, I made eye contact, smiled, went about our business, you know. So uh, that's how these things work, especially with Shatter, because you gotta you gotta get him in, you gotta get him out. It's a line of people. Um, but picture turned out great. You guys have probably seen it on social media, and I was in my uh, my Scotty cosplay. That's what I've done the last couple of years uh, of of his uh, engineering vest. So that that was that was my look, and 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 now I can say that I've met and got a picture. With William Shatner, so cross that off my bucket list. Well, that's important. Uh, I, I got mine with um, with my son in 2016, and it's something that's uh, very special uh, because he's pretty special, right? Mm-hmm. He is still yeah. the captain. He he is the captain. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, but yeah, to wrap it all back around, I, I got to say, like Jason Isaacs, like the heir apparent to William Shatner in these conventions. I think. I mean, I would that next time I'm at a convention, I see Jason Isaac doing a panel. I'm making it a priority to go see because he was a delight. He was. He was funny as hell. I got my picture taken with him, and um, 
And I had a, a couple of friends of mine, um, uh, Heidi and Rhea, who were very kind to me. They kind of adopted me. Uh, yes. <laughs> <in a way. laughs> and so uh, they, they got their picture taken with uh, Jason Isaacs and then um, uh, were very kind to um, to do the same pose with me. <laughs> so I felt very special. But uh, yeah, the, the picture I got with Jason Isaacs came up very nice. He's, he's just, uh, again, he's a he's a funny, funny guy. He really is. And uh, but you know, kind of like William Shatner and, um, and there's not a lot. Like, I mean, I, I, I met Corbin Burnson, uh, who I mm-hmm. think is, is a kick, but you know, that guy's done a ton of things. There's, there's a lot of actors there that, uh, are very accomplished. Uh, Shatner's one of them. Obviously Jason Isaacs has got a ton of big roles in Hollywood. Corbin Burnson, you know, uh, the rest, it's kind of a mixed bag, you know, uh, and I know, um, uh, there's, there's, there's folks that have been in other series. So I, I do get that, but it, it is interesting to me that, um, that, uh, there's, there's, there's some heavy hitters that show up to these things. Even if, you know, in Corbin's case, he was five minutes in Star Trek. Um, <laughs> he was still there and, and I, I got a kick out of it because I, I loved him in, um, LA Law and Major League and Psych and all that. <laughs> I think he's a great actor. So. You, really you know, we didn't cool. get a chance to talk about this. Uh, did you? Did you get? A, did you get a chance to go to the Q Continuum panel? Because that's one thing I, I wish I would have made it a chance to, but I, I wasn't in yet. I, I got in later on Thursday, and I think it was on Thursday where they had everybody up on the stage. No, no, I missed that one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, uh, maybe they'll do it again. But I thought that's like a real cool gimmick. We're like, hey, we got everyone who's ever played a Q is <laughs> on stage together. So I thought that was and, pretty. And cool. And they did, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't know what I would. There, there was a lot of things going on. And, um, you're, you're partying on the roof probably kid. So that's, <laughs> uh, no, that would have been way too early for partying yeah. on the roof. Um, but no, yeah, right. I, like I said, I, I don't think it, it's, it really brought me back to uh, a whole different era of mine. I mean, I haven't been out that late and having that much fun in many, many years. Uh, so not, not back to back to back nights. <laughs> that's just, right. that's unheard of. So, but anyway, you know what? We, we sucked it up. We made it. So that's the good thing. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, you know, there, there was the f- motion picture 40th mm-hmm. anniversary panel, which was very insightful. Ken, why don't you talk some about that? That was awesome for me. I um, was very excited that they were even mentioning the motion picture when you think of all the different anniversaries that were going on there that weren't mentioned, you know, including your favorite movie. Um, yeah, they, they oh, all... it's 25th year, 25th year for Star Trek uh, Generations, uh, uh, 10th year for Star Trek 2009, 40th year for the motion picture. Nobody says anything about it being the 35th anniversary for Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, do they? Nope. No, they don't. No, it was wrong. Hashtag no respect. Yeah. <laughs> same, same also, Final Frontier. Star Trek Five, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Final Frontier. So, 30th yeah. anniversary. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, out of our, when I think of Haley and her favorite movie being Star Trek V, out of the DOS ones anyway, that's, uh, it's ironic that only the motion picture was brought up. But the panel was phenomenal. Uh, Doug Trumbull was, was just fascinating, just learning about his history, putting that, that show together, the, um, the scenes that they, that they put up and, um, in the, in the pictures, you know, the background. Of, of what it took to put this huge movie together it's it's amazing that um that that movie and obviously you know i, I kind of glom on about it because of my um, affection for it but that that movie still stands up to today's cgi and in many ways i think still kicks its ass and mm-hmm. and its practicality um 
the the level of effort they took to to make it legitimate. You know, I mean, as much as um, uh, Star Trek Two is a, is a great movie, and and many more people love Star Trek Two more than the motion picture, which I fully get. Um, you know, the the whole idea of the ship being functional and working a certain way gets tossed out the window, right? It's just, you know, it's, it's blinking lights. It's more and more and more. It, uh, but um, when you see what Trumbull did to, to pull it all together, because it had been a disaster up until he came around, where the effects houses that they hired just weren't delivering or not delivering the quality they were looking for. And um, even when he talks about the clouds and how much work with overlay of sheets and sheets of glass, to make all of that happen, which is why we're kind of stuck watching so many of these patterns, because it was incredibly difficult to make, uh, and because they paid a lot of money for it, it wound up all being on screen, much to our um, chagrin, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, because obviously it just it it brings the movie down or it slows it down quite a bit. So they they could have cut it in half easy. Same with the ship, but still. Um, I, uh, I I love hearing from the guys who who put it all together, who made it happen. Um, to me, it's it's really really special for it. And I have to admit that there was a lot of posters and pictures and um, storyboards from the motion picture all around the convention center, mm-hmm. and uh, it couldn't make me happier. Right? I mean that that was that was great because I, I do kind of um, get a little frustrated that the movies in general don't get much attention or much love in these. Um, in these creation events. And I think it has a lot to do because it's CBS licensed and they kind of focus on CBS. And of course there's a whole bunch of new shows they need to focus on, but that that's an element that's, that's truly missing. Um, the Calvin timeline guys get basically nothing and, and the movies don't get a lot, but uh, I thought it's funny that Star Trek, the motion picture, I was like, yeah, baby. Uh, they had some, they had some great posters, a great panel. And I think the only other panel I remember uh, that was movie focused was the, um, the generations panel. That was uh, that was up there with um, some of the um, the actors that were on the bridge for the Enterprise B, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, I did. I think that was early on Saturday, and I think I, I think I skipped that one. But uh, as far as the uh, the motion picture panel goes, uh, Douglas Trumbull, right, a true legend when it mm. comes to uh, special effects. I mean, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Blade Runner as well, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah, Blade uh, Runner and then, as well. And it was kind of, and it kind of runs in the family because his dad did special effects on Wizard of Oz, and he was talking mm-hmm. about using the uh, the warehouse that his dad started, like uh, to to do a lot of these effects and uh, the slip scan thing, two thousand one, at Space Odyssey. You know that the the uh, the Stargate sequence where they go into the monolith, like he used a lot of those kind of tricks for the motion picture and V'ger, and it was just fascinating stuff. And I was really glad uh, that the Okudas, like I'm glad they were there, but I'm glad they also like kind of let him kind of take the league is like, man, this is, this guy is a Hollywood special effects legend. And Rick Sternbach was also there. Mm-hmm. And he had some interesting stuff to say about how they did like the, the print, uh, the uh, printouts on the screens and stuff. I was all like hand drawn and just a lot of uh, practical, you know, pen and paper stuff back in the day, which today would be no brainer do digitally. Uh, but just, there's just so much, you know, I've always loved special effects kind of behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. And some people say, Oh, it takes away the magic. No, it, to me, it, it makes me appreciate the magic even more to know what all went into accomplishing these things to look so authentic on the big screen. So yeah, that was definitely a highlight of the convention for me, that, that motion picture panel. Yep. No, it was for me. And, uh, I, um, I took a lot of pictures of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're there constantly on your phone the whole time, just documenting it all. So, I was, I was. Um, it was an interesting thing that Trumbull said though, at, uh, 
was they uh there was originally the, the sequence when Kirk and Spock both go into V'ger. It's become known as the memory wall sequence, and everyone's like, we should restore it. Like apparently. More of it was shot than people thought. We have the storyboards, we have the plates, and it's when they're in the the uh, the spacesuit that we only see Kirk in and some shots of the special longer version, not the ones they use in the film, uh, with the round helmets. They have more of the square helmets, uh, and it's Kirk and Spock in there, and people want to see it, but it's interesting to hear Trouble, he mentioned it. It's like, they had shot some stuff uh, inside of Eger with the both of them in the spacesuits, but it was lit poorly. It looked bad. We immediately just threw it all out and started from scratch. And I was like, thank you. Because, uh, I mean, I love the Spock spacewalk. And to me, it just makes more sense him going through the, the, the rings and the, with the thruster, su- thruster suit, with the thruster suit, <laughs> had to say it like that. Um, but I, I, I think they definitely made the right, that's hard to do when you're already behind schedule and over budget to make a call like look for the good of this movie we got to throw this out and do something else and i think that was a, uh, a really bold choice and really paid off uh, yeah yeah well when you when you see the special longer version and kirk is you know kind of using set. little jets yeah <laughs> they, they didn't even yeah it's the set i mean it's it's the <laughs> it's the wood it's the cables it's the it's the background lights. I, I was like, my God, why would they even put this in the movie? It, it, Unbelievable. It, it was. It was one of the one of the dumbest things I've ever seen done. Done. And, and uh, I mean, it, it. It was like, okay, if you're going to take me out of a movie, that's a great way to do it, man. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, motion picture. There's a lot of people cosplaying. There's a there's a great Ilea who I've seen a couple mm-hmm. last yeah, she uh, years. There, uh, she one. I guess she was going through the progression of the movie one night. She was the uh, officer's uniform. The next night, she was the V'ger probe. I guess the next night, she was just an energy cloud. That's why I didn't see her. Uh, but uh, going through the, the evolution of Ilea. Uh, but we saw a lot of uh, Admiral Kirk uniforms as well, Ken. So I'm, I'm uh, th- that's one you have flagged for possible future cosplay. Uh, and then I really like those short sleeve motion picture shirts and uniforms. So I'll have my eye on those possibly for the future too. Yeah, well, I'm on the, um, the Star Trek uh, Motion Picture Appreciation Society Facebook page. <laughs> and they got um, some great pictures of, I would say about a dozen folks um, that that were cosplaying to those original to those uniforms. And there's there's you know a good mix of um, really well done ones, and then some others. You know, it's just kind of they gave it their best shot. But um, there's there was a lot of that short sleeve uh, uniform there, and um, and it, it really looked good. I thought, uh, but. Yeah, I'm still. I, I've never cosplayed. I know that uh, people are like, what's wrong with you? And I just got to uh, suck it up and, and and just let loose a little bit and have some fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, and we and we can't close our conversation about cosplay without talking about our friend Dan Davison from the Trek Geeks, who dressed up as Galt from the Gangsters of Triskelion, and he was a big hit at the convention. I think he was a big hit. He looked phenomenal and um, intimidating. You know, because yeah. in in real life, you know, he's a He's a pussy cat, you know. He's, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he. he I, I know he had uh, professional makeup done. Um, mm-hmm. He he shaved his hair. He he did a lot. He changed his beard. I, I, my goodness. Um, and then he posted a bunch of pictures with him with the uh, the lit eyes, glowing eyes, yeah, the glowing very eyes good. for a fact, yeah. So yeah, Dan Davidson looked looked phenomenal. I thought that was uh, that was a real treat, and I remember hearing his voice. I was walking somewhere and turning around and it actually startled me. It's like, dang, it was, uh, it was very impressive. Very impressive. He was robbed at the cosplay competition. I actually, I think the guy who won was the guy in the Pike chair, right? 
I think, I think so. That's what I heard. Because yeah. that was a that was a screen accurate bike chair. Like that, I mean, I know it's not that hard to replicate. Okay, all right. But I think it, it was like I, I saw like I think he went to lunch and he was sitting there. I'm like, man, I should go find him. Like give him like twenty bucks for me to sit in it to <laughs> get my picture because I thought it was great. So should have used that on Discovery Ken, in season two. That's what I say. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know how you think, so I get it. I completely uh, get it. So, uh, I think we pretty much covered it all, Ken. Unless there's something else you can think of. No, not, nothing nothing um, beyond. I just want to say a, a huge thank you to all the, the new friends that I met, to all the listeners that we um, that we enjoyed at our Trek FM dinner. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just um, thank you to everybody for making this a, a wonderful event for me personally. I, I can't say enough. There wasn't... Um, there wasn't a soul uh, that I didn't come across that wasn't uh, happy, pleasant, wonderful. Um, you know, people that uh, I had never met before, and before you know it, you're, you're hugging them like you've been friends for years, and that's that's the beauty and special uh, what makes Star Trek so special for all of us, uh, but particularly me for all these years. And so, uh, my my sincere uh, thanks and appreciation to to everyone who was there uh, had had a wonderful time and. Uh, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to get back there next year. I know they changed the dates a little bit, so it's... Yeah, um, they're, they're a little later, you know, like a week later, I think. Yeah, it messes up a lot of schedules for people that, you know, teachers and things that go back, um, especially in the South and the West, where they, where they um, you know, they have to go back usually the first week in August. So it's it's going to be challenging for some folks, I think, but, um, you know, for me, it doesn't make much difference, but... Um, it, it could. Uh, I am worried about my board of directors meetings because that was that was <laughs> that was this week, which would have been the same week. And it's like, ooh, okay. Hopefully, uh, I'll be able to because I won't be able to miss that. that. That will come first, but we'll we'll see if it's hopefully it's the following week, and uh, everything will work out. All right. Well, ditto to everything you said, Ken, very eloquently. Yeah, just love seeing all the fellow hosts, all the listeners, old friends. New friends. I will. I will say uh, uh, our friend Ria Papa Giorgio, mm-hmm. uh, which I think she likes to. Uh, her name in Scottish, so Ria Papa Giorgio, as Joe Keegan says it over on Earl Grey. I, I probably butchered that. I'm sorry that with that accent. My accent perhaps better than James doing Scottish. But moving on from that, <laughs> her post about the end of the convention was: if Genesis is indeed life from death, I must return to this place again. And I thought that was a very perfect way to wrap up how we felt about the Star Trek Las Vegas. It's, well it's a done, great, Rhea. Yep. It's a it's a great just a mecca for Star Trek fans to make the annual pilgrimage, right? And uh, like you, I'm pretty much on that. Well, we'll see every year. You know, every year it will definitely be on the to do list, and we hopefully it can stay there. Yeah. But Star Trek Las Vegas isn't everything we're talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm. The ready room. But Larry, how do you know that there's not a house somewhere out there on the forge where Cybok's in the living room, Michael's in the living room, and there are like six other people in the living room that Amanda and Sarek and Spock never talk about? They t- oh, sure. They took us in for a while and they threw us in the house on the forge. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Wait, so what switched between your two lists? Calypso comes in. Runaway comes in second oh, of right, importance. Right. Okay. But Calypso comes in second in enhancement of the season. Okay. I see and really, even in importance, I could probably, in my head, flip Calypso and Runaway because I don't mm-hmm. need Runaway. Standard Orbit. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, is the best named movie of the first six movies. 
I think, because from a marketing point of view, from a Star Trek point of view, it's just a great title. You know, not talking about the execution of the film. I just mean it's a great title. The other movie titles were, eh, eh. You know, I mean they weren't that creative. Literary treks. So I, I think if you have an idea or a story for a Star Trek novel, it would you would be better served if that came on the heels of the ten pieces of fan fiction that you've written or whatever, or, or things that you've written on your own that not necessarily fan fiction, but. If you practiced as a writer and and have honed your your craft, because they're going to want you to be a, a good writer. Yeah, they're gonna, and and that comes back to you know it's they're gonna tie in editors, and this is not just Star Trek. This is anybody. They're gonna go with people who have demonstrated an ability to hit their marks, hit their marks clean, easy to work with, or at least able to work with. Um, and, and can do that on a, and can do that on a, it's like okay I did it once no okay well now do it again now do it again now do it three times in a row now do it five times in this one calendar year and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm so check out all these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts if you're an Apple user you can get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app be sure to hit the subscribe button that helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MB3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm contact and look at the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM, and The Babel Conference. Type The Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at TrekFM.com and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, Dan Rhodes, and Mike Richards. Your contributions, your help, your support, they mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time, or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me... You can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On To Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville, with one S. I'm also the co-host of Franchise Fatigue, a podcast where we look at sequels, remakes, movie franchises, and when a franchise gets fatigued. You can find us on Twitter at UFP Earth, part of the United Federation of Podcasts. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>